This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Good morning, everybody. I want to say God bless Tennessee, but I'm not in Tennessee. God bless Mississippi. Amen. You're close enough, though. We'll adopt you. Praise God. Now, let me just see if I can do this. I'm going to talk real fast, so hang with me here. Um, having adult kids these days is, is a unique opportunity, and uh, I love all my kids. Uh, uh, Sarah, my oldest, just finished her doctorate. She's a professor at Northeastern State. Saw her graduate three weeks ago. My youngest daughter uh, got her degree, graduated two weeks ago. My son will graduate in December, so that'll be all six out of college. All six. Which means we're going to start eating better. We are. <laughs> going to drive a better car. And we, I might get a boat. I don't know. I'm thinking about a lot of stuff right now. I'm getting real carnal. Um, having a lot of kids won't make you holy or famous. It'll make you insane and broke if you don't know what to do with them when they show up. Now, we weren't perfect parents. Uh, uh, I tell you, we don't have perfect kids because they didn't have perfect parents. But we got godly ones because the Bible says the righteous fall seven times a day they get back up. Now, having kids today is kind of a unique opportunity, and I think it's great. So let me share my little version as I start off here, because you're going to like this today. This is two parts, part one this morning, part two tonight. Kids would challenge me. They'd hear about stuff, you know, like, Dad, did you hear about uh, CNN reported about a big earthquake and a volcano that's, you know, smoking out in the, in the National Forest out in Wyoming? I said, yeah, I saw that. They said, Dad, if it goes off, uh, it will destroy a third of the earth. And I said, yeah, I saw that. They said it happened about two billion years ago. I wasn't here, but. Somebody must have saw it and wrote about it. But, uh, <laughs> and they said, well, what do you think about it? So I think we ought to get a Winnebago and ride out there and see it. And, uh, and I was serious, and we did. And uh, I said, why? Because it's not going to happen while I'm here. And see, if you don't know the Word of God, the devil will mess you up in the last days. Because the Bible does say in 2 Timothy, in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, heady, high-minded, truce-breakers, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. That's been the news. Disobedient to parents, you name it, it's there. You know, the, Jesus said in Luke 17, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and famines. It's, it's all happening. But at the same time, God said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. The sons and daughters are going to prophesy and dream dreams and have visions. I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the children back to the fathers. The greatest revival in the history of mankind will happen in the last days. So we're living in the greatest moment of human history. The greatest moment. Had you been able to go back to the beginning and God could have asked you like, hey, when would you like to be born? You want to be born here with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? No, I don't think so. That They're going to go stupid, get fired, evicted. Kids are going to start killing each other. I don't think so, no more. Well, you want to be born here with Noah? You like boats? Don't you love boats? You want to be no big boat? No, 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 no rudder, no motor, a lot of animals shoving a lot of stuff for a long time. No, thank you, Father. I don't want that boat. <laughs> you want to be born when my son comes to earth, silent night, holy night, and we three kings of Orient are? I'm going to pass on that one. They're going to nail men across the 70 miles either side of Jerusalem. No, Father, I'll pass that up. Well, son, you got to pick some time to be born. When would you like to be born? Well, God, if you don't mind, I would really like to be born in the last days. When your spirit's poured out without measure, we're going to prophesy and dream dreams and have visions. Uh, we are the body of Christ. Jesus said, I'm going to build me a church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. 
We're not hiding from hell. We're looking for hell. We're storming hell. We're storming the gates of hell. What do you do? Well, as a believer, I, I help widows. I help orphans. I give food to hungry, water to thirsty. I visit people in prison. I'm a hell stomping, hell fixing machine. Every day you get up, you ought to make the devil break out into a cold sweat. Oh, dear God, they're up. <laughs> what are you doing today? Looking for some hell? <laughs> my, job's to, my job's to whip hell. I'm a hell whipping machine. Can you imagine interviewing Jesus? Hey, hey, Jesus, what you got planned today? Well, I got a busy day planned today. Uh, this morning, I'm going to go put some eyeballs on a blind man's head. Going to go down to church service and grow me a hand out. That's going to mess them up really bad. I'm going to raise a dead kid at a funeral. And we're going to have 5,000 happy meals out on the hillside this afternoon. <laughs> Got myself a real busy day planned. Every day of Jesus' ministry, three and a half years, every day. What are you going to do today? I'm going to whip me some hell. I'm a hell whipping machine. But Christians, now we do about 80 seminars a year. And it's amazing how believers, well, I just hope we just have one normal day. One day we're not happening. <laughs> well, that's not going to happen. Because you live on planet Earth. 2 Corinthians 4 4, Satan is the God of this planet. He got it legally when Adam knew sin. Satan is the legal God of this planet. He steals, he kills, he destroys. John 10 10. Where do you live? On a hell bound, hellacious planet. Does that bother you? Oh, no, no. I'm looking for hell. I got opportunity everywhere, every day. What are you going to do? I don't know, but there's something happening somewhere we get to fix. We get to nurture people back to health. We get to soothe people to the word and get the fear out of them. We get to cast devils out of people. And, they get, and you say, it's what we do. But if you don't know that, oh my God, have you seen the news? No, I don't watch it myself. <laughs> you know, uh, took my kids to D.C. Took my kids a lot of places. Took them to Washington, D.C. years ago. and I went through the U.S. Mint. That was a great, they were printing $20 bills that day. Sheets of $20 bills. Pallets of $20. Boom, choo, choo. And so as we're going through, the lady giving the tour said, this is where the FBI agents who specialize in counterfeit money, this is where they train. There's a six-week training program for FBI agents who specialize in counterfeit money. The unique thing about that is in six weeks, they never once ever see a counterfeit bill. Ever. At all. Because if you study a counterfeit bill and learn what it looks like, the counterfeits just make another counterfeit bill. Then you have to study that one to find out what that looks like. And then they'll make another counterfeit bill. So all we study are good bills. That's all we study. We know the good really good. Well, how do you know when it's bad? I know it's bad because it's not good. <laughs> Years ago, there was a movement across American youth groups to teach on suicide. Like We're going to prevent our students from committing suicide, and we're going to teach on it. Well, that was the dumbest thing we ever did. Suicide went up 38%. Because you do what you think about. What are you thinking about? What you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, rather than the issues of life. I've told my kids, we live in the greatest moment of human history, and I'm going to hug Jesus now when I get to heaven. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be alive in the last days. Thank you. And so horror is happening. I understand it, but that's not my job. I'm not in charge of that. I'm to pray for those in positions of authority every day, for my president, for my Congress, my Senate, for my governor, for my, whether I voted for him or not. My job is to pray for them. God told Daniel, your job is to pray for Nebuchadnezzar. I'll pray up here. She bear his eyeballs out and spit them down his throat. I got some prayers. Uh, he then killed my parents and killed my pet goat and burnt down my house and made me a slave. 
And the guy said, no, wrong prayer, wrong prayer. <laughs> I need you to pray that he has a peaceful day. I'm to pray for that butcher and man has a peaceful day. Yes, son, I need you to pray that old Nebuchadnezzar has a peaceful day. What do I pray that he gets saved? No, he's not going to get saved. He's going to turn to a billy goat and eat grass for seven years. <laughs> he's going he's to go kind of whack. <laughs> but in the meantime, I need you to pray that he has a peaceful day. Why? Because if he has a peaceful day, you'll have a peaceful day. But if he didn't have a peaceful day, you're probably coming home early. <laughs> Yet I see more Christians with bumper stickers. Like, well, that's just a dumb idea. I'm supposed to be the salt and the light. Our country's not doing bad because of the president or the Congress or the Senate. If our country's doing bad, it's because the salt lost its saltiness. We are the term determination of the quality of America, not the politicians. You go where there's no prayer and there's no gospel being preached, and you'll walk into hell in the country. Why are we doing so good? Christians pray, believe God, pray for those in authority. We're the salt, we're the light. So, I tell my kids, every time some bad news happens, whether it's an earthquake or something in France or whatever, what's going on? The devil's mad. His time's short and he knows it. He's going to boil forever. <laughs> oh, he knows what's coming. What is it? Your time's running out, big boy. We're going to fry you like a big corn dog. <laughs> Hell's coming. You think you created it? No, you're going to boil in it for eternity. Hell's coming. But unless you know who you are in him, in whom, in Christ, you won't get that in you. The most powerful thing on this planet you're sitting in this morning, there is nothing more powerful than the body of Christ and the local church. We are what's happening. Two things last forever, the body of Christ, the word of God. Everything else is going to disappear, not us. What are we? We're a salt lot. We are, we are a good thing looking for a place to happen in our home, in our marriage, with our kids, with our family, our business, our money. We are what's happening. Then why are we going through so much? Hell, well, because you're on an alien planet. There's a devil who stays awake all the time. He hates your ever-living guts. He wants you dead, broke, messed up, and insane. So I think I don't want to do that. I used to do that. That was not good. I've been broke. What do you think about it? I don't like it. <laughs> I've been crazy. My wife told me I was. How'd that go? Well, it doesn't get you much kissy face, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so with that in mind, let me read this to you. I'm going to read from uh, Matthew 22. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Matthew 22. Uh, I'm going to jump in here around uh, verse 36. Now, they're trying to trick Jesus. This is not a nice group of people. They're trying to trip him up. And they spoke to Jesus, said, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, Well... You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And the second, that's the first and greatest commandment. And the second really is important, equally important, he said. You need to love your neighbor like you love yourself. The entire law and all the demands or commands of the prophet are tied up in these two commands. What are you supposed to do? Love God, love my neighbor. What are you going to do? Love God, love my neighbor. What's important? Love God, love my neighbor. He said, if you'll do these two things, you can take the 17 books of the law and just put them on a shelf somewhere. If you do these two things, you'll fulfill all the law. So what's God about? Relationships. It's all about relationships. If you're having misery in your life this morning, it's because of a relationship. If you're feeling good this morning, it's probably because of a relationship. Because everything's a relationship. And so we're on a planet where the relationships are messed up. We hate each other. 
We got ethnos against ethnos, ethnic against ethnic, rich against poor, poor against rich, France against Britain, Britain against everybody else. You know, like, what's going on? Well, it's the last days. And it's a sin nature. Sin nature is I, me, me, I, I, me, I, I, me, I, I, and me, and I. Well, see, if you're a Christian, there is no more I. You died. Yeah, the day you got born again, you died. You swapped your life for the life of Christ. You died in Him. You're born again. When you got married, you died. Then nobody explains that to me. That's what a covenant is. <laughs> Hallmark has the cards all wrong. It should say, if you, you want to send a card to somebody got married, hey, congratulations. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I heard you died. Yes, I did. Because if you don't die at that marriage ceremony, you are a half-dead, smelly zombie. And you're still demanding things. And I tell men all the time when I'm married somebody, you don't demand nothing. You're dead. Shut up. Here's... You swore at that sermon before God and witnesses, you're going to spend the rest of your life living for your spouse. That's your job. So uh, we've been doing ministry a long time. I was an engineer for 10 years, and God called us into ministry. And I always knew it would be family. I, think, I knew family would be the hottest issue in the last days. Socially, spiritually, financially, politically, family is going to be a hot deal. Every law that's coming out is geared at the family to bust it up. The devil hates the family. We represent God. So that's why laws are trying to be passed. We're trying to kill the family. You can make it sound as fancy as, well, what's going on? The devil in this world hates the family, but God loves the family. So we're going to build our families like Christ built a church. I was, um, I loved to read. I hated school when I was in school, but got out and I love to read now. Um, Harvard University back in 1938 did a study. Uh, we were coming out of the Depression. Depression was about a 10-year run where everybody's broke as dirt, you know, trying to find jobs, you know, Oklahoma dried up, went to nothing. People headed to California just trying to get a job. And so they're trying to do a study because they realized something. Not everybody was broke during the Depression. Some people became billionaires during the Depression, depending on who you were and what you were doing. And they noticed something. Whether you were filthy, stinking rich or poor as dirt, whether you were, it didn't matter. It said there are some rich people who are incredibly happy. And there are some rich people who are incredibly depressed, throwing themselves off buildings. There are some poor people who are incredibly happy, broke as dirt and don't have nothing, but they're just happy. And there's some poor people who are incredibly depressed. It's like, what is that? So the Department of Sociology at Harvard said, we need to do a study. What, what makes people happy? Why are happy people happy? So they decided to do a study, and they picked 724 men. It took them a while. They had to interview them. Uh, they did uh, full physicals, blood samples, urine samples. They wanted to do a study over a 10-year period uh, two groups of men. Half the men in the 724 came from Harvard. They were sophomores at Harvard. The other half of the men came from the slums in Boston. Many of them had no fathers. Some of them didn't have homes. Half starved to death. And so we're going to do a survey of really, really seemingly happy rich people and some really depressed broke people. Now we're doing the interview. They asked a question. Now we're going to come see you every year for the next 10 years just for one week. We're going to come visit you and we're going to talk to your relatives, your family, your parents, your neighbors, your kids, your cousins, just to find out how you're doing and uh, see what it is you do and why you do it, what makes you tick. Do the full physical every year, blood tests, urine tests, uh, x-rays, brain x-rays. They did it all. And said they did a question every year. What is it that makes you happy? 80% of both the Harvard guys and the slum guys from Boston said, what would make you happy? Money. Money would make me happy. You'd be happy to get me some money and I'll be happy. That was the number one answer. Number two answer, what would make you happy? Number two answer is I want to be famous. 
I want to be famous. When I walk in a room, I want people to know who I am. And that was the same answer every year. And somewhere they sat around, they, and they, they kept going after 10 years. By the way, they just finished uh, the 75th year of the study. Uh, there are 60 of the original 724 still alive. They're still doing the survey. Here's what they found out. Between age 40 and age 50, what they wanted in life began to change. So what do you want in life? Same answer. I want to be rich. I want to be famous. Around 40, it began to change. Around 40, he said, well, money's just not that big a deal. I've had it, and I've not had it. It's just not what it's cranked up to be, you know. I mean, I want my needs met, but it's not that big a deal. I don't want to be famous. I've been halfway there and seen famous people, and they're not even better off than somebody else. So what do you want? Well, what I want in life is a good relationship. Now, this is secular. This isn't Christian. By age 50, everyone gave the same answer. Everybody. They don't know each other being interviewed. What do you want in life? By age 50, they all gave the same answer. We want a great relationship. Why? Because that's really a bad thing to go through life by yourself. Loneliness is a horrible thing. Yet people start early. Starting junior. I don't need you. I don't need nobody. I don't need nothing. Well, bless your ignorant thumb-sucking heart. You're one of them. Because <laughs> God made humans to need one another. I need you and you need me. Nobody makes it by themselves. Thus, the body of Christ. In the local church, God knew what we needed, where we'd be the most effective, where we'd be the most blessed. So they, like I said, still doing the study. It's like, what is it? It's a relationship. Well, God went back and said that beginning. What's the most important thing? Loving God, loving your fellow man. It's a relationship. Having a relationship with God, having a relationship with your fellow man. How do you get one? Well, God said this, you draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. How do you get a relationship with God? Well, you've got to run to him. Go boldly to the throne of grace to get mercy and help in time of need. You've got to chase God. I just don't feel God. It's because you're not chasing Him. Well, I can't hear God. It's because you're not talking to Him. God said this, you talk to me, I'll talk back. You ask me something, I'll answer it. You seek, I'll see that you're fine. We initiate the relationship. Nobody ever invites me to nothing. It's because you're weird. (laughs) Maybe you got bad breath or body odor. You know, take a bath, get a breath mint. Learn how to hold a conversation. You know, you're just weird. I wouldn't want to be around you either. You're weird. That's a whole seminar. So, so we realized even today, you know, what's, what's, what keeps you happy? Well, good relationships, whether it's your marriage or your family, or your neighbors or whatever. Here's what they found. People that lived, the guys in the, in the survey that lived into their 80s and 90s, uh, many of them diagnosed with bad health, some with cancer, some with diabetes, all of them had stuff. But the ones who had great relationships outlived the other guys by almost eight years. Why? We have a reason to get up. I'm going to go play checkers with my buddy. I got two tubes of oxygen in my nose, but I got to go play checkers. I'm going to whip him today. <laughs> People who had relationships outlived, outloved, outlaughed everybody else. Because the devil wants to do something. He wants to isolate you. I don't need nobody. Yes, you do. I don't be around nobody. Oh, yeah, you do need to be around people. As iron strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend. You will not grow unless you're around other people. So we started radio. It took us about a year to lay it out, and I want to do real good if we're going to do it. So have my board chewing on me because we do it again. We run hard, and I like what I do. I love it. My wife goes with me most of the time, and uh, we've been taking care of family the last five years. Our parents got older, and so we actually moved from Tulsa to Chattanooga. We've been living there taking care of them the last five years, flying in and out of there. Well, they've all gone to be with Jesus, so they've all left now. So we're almost like trying to refocus our life. What do we do now? I guess we go back home. You know, we're trying to kind of refocus, and and so we were talking about things. Even our relationship goes through cycles, stages. And um, 
I said, you know, we're going to find out how to do this better. So uh, at the same time, there was a lot of transition. Everybody my age I went to school with is retiring. They're all retiring. They're trying to quit. And I realized one day, you're going to retire? And I thought, no, I don't want to retire. American Medical Association says the average human who retires dies within five years. You know, we're going to have a good time. You know, for about five years. <laughs> Get her done. <laughs> I would really like to live a whole lot longer than that. I worked my whole life to die in five years. That is not right. There's something wrong there. I want that long life God promised, and I want the joy of the Lord to be my strength. So we were sitting down, we were visiting, we are talking about it, said, you know, and uh, so anyhow, my board taught me I'm doing radio, so it's, we're going to do it. Charles Swindoll has the biggest radio program in the world. He's on uh, 2,400 stations, and he's out of Dallas, and uh, uh, a real good program. So we went to see him. So if we're going to get on radio, who's got the best radio program? Chuck Swindoll. Let's go visit him. Now, we didn't see Chuck personally, but we saw his people. And like, okay, if we're going to do this, let's do this right. So how did you do it? You know, he's got 181 employees on 2,000 stations. And I got one employee, and I'm on 12. But we started, and we started real good. We're doing good. We're doing good. We're getting ready to expand to six more stations around the country in a 30-minute program, very high quality. Man, it's the state of the art, greatest voices. I don't talk longer than three minutes. I don't bore you. We're just popping that thing around. And we're trying to encourage people. We're getting great response off of it. So... What we decided to do is uh, twice a month we do a live call-in. So Denise and I will go in our studio, and so we build our own studio there in Tulsa now. And uh, I can just walk across my hall, and there it is. And so it's state-of-the-art. Text changed. All the technology has changed. So we're in there, and we'll do a live call-in. And I give two-minute answers. That's all we're going to do. We're going to have a live call-in, and I'm going to give a two-minute answer. Got a big clock on the wall because I can get real verbal. So a lady calls in, said, Joe, gave her name, said, really enjoy uh, your ministry. I think we've got all your stuff and your tapes and books. So it's really helped our family. I'd like to ask you a question. If you could go back as a parent and only do three things as a parent, what are the three most important, successful things you ever did as a parent in getting your kids to make it in life? And uh, I said, okay. And so Denise stands up, honey, would you like to answer that? And she said, no. <laughs> All right, then, well, let's just jump in. Because you can't have notes. This is just right off the cuff. And I said, well, probably the three most important things we ever taught our kids was, number one, we taught them about sin. Because sin's got death attached to it. We taught them how to repent quick and forgive quick. Because, you know, if you get offended, you're going to have a miserable life. Always blaming somebody. Well, if my daddy hadn't left my mother, my mother had just loved me. If my teacher had passed me, if my coach had played me, if my dog hadn't met me, my mom hadn't fired me, I didn't say. Everybody half the psalm, half the hymn, half an opinion about something. And so I realized, I don't want you to know how to deal with sin. Sin's been dealt with. Sin is not a problem. It will never be a problem. The blood of Jesus lays fresh on the altar in heaven. You're to run boldly to the throne of grace, get mercy up in time of need if you sin. So sin will never be a problem to you. You're going to learn how to repent quick, forgive quick. Number two, I want you to know you're anointed to make money because you're going to need a chunk of it. I don't know how much money you think you need, quadruple it. Because prices are going up, everything's going up. It's not going to get cheaper. God promised the supply of your need. Wealth and riches will be in your house. I want you to know you're anointed to make money. I don't care if you just made it out of kindergarten. I don't care if they kicked you out of the third grade. I don't care if you can't walk and chew gum. You never diagrammed a sentence. You're anointed to make money. Everybody's gifted to make money. Your job is to find out what that is and get busy using it, serving your fellow men with it. And number three, your mouth will kill you. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. If you don't start talking right and say what God says, hell's going to camp out in your backyard. Because your mouth either invites the angels of heaven or the demons from hell. So learn to control your tongue. And I just said it, and we finished answering some other questions, and we've got a studio audience. It's not real big, but 
So we're leaving, people are talking, and I'm shaking hands, and we had visitors that day. Well, three of my adult kids were in the audience that day, and we're walking. I said, man, Dad, that was really good. I said, yeah, I thought that was good, too. That was great. God showed up, man, because I didn't know what I was going to say. <laughs> and so we're walking out. Sarah, my college professor, Dad, we don't ever remember you teaching us about that. <laughs> I'm not making this up. And so, and so, you know, Jessica, my second daughter's there, who was my all-American basketball player and went to college on scholarship. She said, yeah, Dad, we, we were talking. We don't remember that conversation. And then my son, who's the youngest, said, Dad, you never taught us that. I've taught you that, and I've taught you that a lot. I even printed out copies and gave it to you. So what I'm going to hold up today, you can download off my website, jobegeeministers.com for free. These are the original notes that I gave them when they were in junior high. I kept them in my file. I got huge files. So I went, come off and sit down. So I went and I pulled them out. I went over this. I went over the lot. I put it in three by five cards and I shoved it down your throat and I made you copies of it. So this is the, uh, this is the 10 minute version of those life skills that I taught them they forgot. Because your brain leaks out on your pillow every night. <laughs> every morning you got to get up and shove it back in. Where did I lay my truck keys? Where'd my bill fall at? What day is it? What happened? Your brain leaked out. You got to renew your mind every day with the word of God. So these are the ones on sin. All these are uh, from the New Living Translation. I'll just give you the first three or four. Galatians 1.4 says this, Jesus gave his life for our sins. Why did Jesus come to earth? Sin. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Sin. Why was Jesus raised from the dead? Sin. Why did he go back to heaven to pray for us? Sin. Sin kills. It's got death attached to it. Adam and Eve sinned. They got fired from a job, evicted from the house. Kids started killing each other and went downhill from there to Revelation. Sin kills. Sin's not something to be played with. It's not good to sin. You need to stay away from sin. If you do sin, you need to repent quick. Like, well, that was deep. <laughs> Romans 5, 12, all have sinned. Oh, my goodness. Genesis 4, 1, Cain and Abel. You know, Adam and Eve already been fired, evicted. It's not going too good. And, you know, Cain and Abel. Abel brings the blood sacrifice. Cain brought the radishes, turnips, and the cabbage. You know, God didn't like that sacrifice. There's no blood. And he told Cain, I don't like that. I'm not accepting it. Cain got mad and pooched his lip out of God. And God asked him, why are you mad? Cain won't answer. He said, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. Since you're not doing what's right, here's what God said in the King James. Sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you. You must learn to master it. God told the first kid ever born on this planet, son, you better learn to master sin. It's trying to kill you. And I hear people, well, it's not that big a deal. It's not that bad. And the devil, he's dressed really nice and looks real good. <laughs> Kill you dead. That's just a dumb thing to do. <laughs> Romans 3.20, by the laws of knowledge of sin. That's why God gave the Ten Commandments. We didn't know we were sinners. He couldn't just send Jesus. Jesus is going to die for my sin. Well, if it wasn't for the Ten Commandments, I didn't know I needed Jesus. Now, there are 613 laws. We're going to start with 10. We're going to start with these 10. Why? Because you're not going to be able to keep one of them. And no human has ever kept the Ten Commandments except Jesus. No human. And that's why God gave them. Why did God give them? To show us we can't keep them. You have a sin nature. You can't do what's right. It's impossible. You have a sin nature. Paul wrote about it in Romans 8. I'm doing things I shouldn't do, and I'm not doing things I should do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me this body and death? <laughs> and then you got to read, you know, chapter 9, 10, 11. You get down to chapter 12, he got the answer. I need to renew my mind with the Word of God. So my spirit and my soul can hook up and tell my flesh to have a seat. So it's a great book, Romans. I love that. I like this. 
Isaiah 59, 1, sin has hidden God's face from us. Whoa, that's not good. 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and to forgive us. So I tell my kids, if you sin, you run to God real quick. Don't run, well, I'm going to, since I clean my life up, I'm coming back to church. You'll never be back to church. Well, since I get my life together, I'm coming back. You'll never get it together. You can't. You need Jesus. You need Jesus and his blood. You need the mercy and grace of God until you come get that. You're never going to make it. And you're going to be so frustrated. I can't get it. That's what God wrote the book about. And you ought to read it. It's really good. <laughs> so anyhow, it goes on. It's all the, these are all the scriptures in the New Testament. Everyone, there's not a duplicate on sin. God said a lot about sin. What is it? It's not a problem. What do you know about sin? It is no longer a problem. Sin, you, sin, sin ought to be like a wet bar of soap. You can't even grip it. Why? The blood of Jesus cleansed me from all unrighteousness. Sin's not a problem. Now here's the second thing. Once you know that sin's no more a problem, you can repent quick and forgive quick. You can run boldly to the throne of grace to get mercy. What do you need mercy when you've sinned on purpose? It'd be like, somebody, it'd be like you run to heaven all out of breath. And God says, hey, son, how you doing? Pretty good. What you doing here? I just thought I'd come hang out. Is there a problem? What? Is there a problem? Might be. Did you sin? What? Did you sin? Maybe. <laughs> Was it on purpose? Huh? Did you do it on purpose? My half. <laughs> How's it working out for you? Not too good. Not too good. <laughs> and what I want my kids to know, if you sin, you better immediately, not even blink, get to heaven real quick to go get the mercy and grace of God because God will forgive you if you'll repent. But not if you sit around and just sit on it like a chicken on an egg, it's going to get skanky. The second thing I want to know, they're anointed to make money. Now, this is an eight-hour seminar. I'm going to reduce down here to about four minutes. I'll give you just one scripture out of it. I really like this. This is a, this, I, people didn't understand about money. The devil tried to separate us from money a long time ago. Mark 6, 3. When Jesus started his ministry, it was real different. For 30 years, Jesus didn't do a single miracle. He ran his dad's business. Jesus was the local Home Depot. It wasn't some little sissy guy in a white sheet and a wooden hammer. It was a big business. Everybody in town knew him. All of his family worked for him. Jesus did jobs. He did invoices. He collected stuff. He fixed stuff. He repaired stuff. He built door frames and tables. He built your bed and the chair you're sitting in. He did your master boat. If you needed a carpenter, that's the guy you went to see. He was a local Home Depot guy. Everybody knew him. That's why when he started his ministry, well, that's just the carpenter's son. Well, that's just the carpenter. Nobody would believe him. His own disciples didn't even believe him. It was just a wacky deal for a long time. And so all of a sudden, Jesus, one day, you know, goes off in the wilderness, meets that crazy camel hair bug-eating Baptist, ducks him out of the water, comes up out of heaven, heaven splits open, this is my son, Holy Ghost takes him wilderness, squares up against the devil, it is written, it is written, it is written. He comes back, he sits down in the temple, they hand him the scroll, he reads the scroll. It was his turn to read. They read all the time. It was his turn to read today. <laughs> he says, the Spirit of God is upon me. He's anointed me to heal the sick, raise the dead, you know, cast out devils. And he read the whole thing. And he folded it back and he handed it back to the people. Now he went over and he sat down. Now every synagogue in the world, every Jewish synagogue in the world has a beautifully embroidered chair sitting right in front of the pulpit. And that's called the Messiah's chair. That's where Messiah, when he comes back to earth, every synagogue in the world has got one. When Jesus finished reading that day, they all sat on the floor. He went over and he sat down on that chair. <laughs> he just sat down. Now the Bible tells us two men started talking. One man said, you know, we need to have him read more often because he sure reads good. He's always read good. There's something about him when he reads that. <laughs> and the other guy said, did you hear what he just said? Yeah, I'm bragging. He read real good. No, did you hear what he said? No, not really. He said he's the one. The one what? He's sitting in the chair. 
He thinks he's the one. He just said he's the one. And then Jesus gave him a short two-sentence sermon, you know, and immediately everybody had bragged on him. Let him read all the time. Bought furniture from him. Knew his family. Immediately everybody in the synagogue jumped up and mobbed him and drug him out of that chair. Drug him out of town to a cliff on the edge of town to shove him off. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is not one recorded prayer of Jesus till the day he found out who he was. Because when he sat down in that chair right before they mobbed him, he said this, today is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. What happened? He just found out, I'm him. I'm back. <laughs> and man, it chapped him. And so I tell people, until the day you get born again, spirit filled, people say, well, I never had the devil bother me. Because you're not doing nothing. <laughs> but you get born again in spirit filled, hell just woke up. <laughs> That's why you got yourself a shield. <laughs> Sword and a helmet. What are you going to do? Well, we're going to have you go, go whip some hell. No, I just got saved. I just came out of hell. Yeah, you did. We're going to equip you. We're going to send you back in to whip something. <laughs> That'll fit that in a movie. So Jesus was the businessman. Now these are all these are all scriptures in the New Testament. This is all New Living. I've not duplicated any of these. These are all every every parable, every parable. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a business story. Every one without exception. Every parable in your Bible is a business story. Jesus was a businessman. Jesus never went to the synagogue to preach. He went to the business world with the gospel. God loves your business. The devil, well, you know, go to church on Sunday and get forgiven and sing a song and eat some chicken. But man, you're on your own come Monday morning. You're just going to hang on to Sunday. My God, I hope Sunday hurry up and get here. Well, Jesus is Lord Monday, just like Sunday. He'll be Lord Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday evening, Thursday morning. And he wants to be Lord of your business. He wants you to prosper and succeed, make money, leave money behind your children and your grandchildren, pay your tithe, help orphans, help widows, give to missions. He wants you a blessed individual. But until you believe that, that won't happen because the devil's a thief. So here they are, real quick. Uh, Matthew 7, 24, a parable about construction. I love this one. John 2, parable about winemaking. Jesus and the boys are at a big wedding, and it's free food, so he brought the whole staff. So he's there, and, uh, and they're back in the kitchen and snacking on some food, and Mama's back there with them, Mary, you know, Mary, Silent Night, Holy Night. So they come running in the kitchen, hey, boys, we need some more wine. Man, they're sucking it down fast out there. Well, there's a catering company that supplied stuff even back in Jesus' day. They said, what do you mean they're, we're out of wine? What do you mean they can't be out. We're only halfway through the party. Oh, man, it must be a hot day. They're sucking it down fierce. Because there's no water. You don't drink the water back then. It's got stuff crawling in it. There's no Pepsi-Cola, no Coca-Cola. There's no Mountain Dew. There's just wine and skanky water. <laughs> and so when he's one wine, we're out. We're out. Oh, my God. Oh, man, we'll never get another gig ever. Oh, this is going to ruin our business. And, and so they're all yapping. And Jesus is there with his boys. They're back there snacking. Mom looks at Jesus. Son, help them. It's in every translation. Son, help them. They're out of wine. Jesus said, Mom, it's not my time yet. Mom said, Son, help them. And even the creator of the universe did what his mother said. So he went over and said, What's going on? Well, we're out of wine. Well, fill these pots up with water. Fill them back up with water. And they did. And Jesus went over and touched it. He said, Take a sip. They took a sip. And their eyebrow, we have some good stuff. Hurry up, go down and pour it. And so they begin to serve the guests this big wedding feast. And the comments began to come. It's in your Bible. People began to be, Man. That's some good stuff, man. Usually they serve the good stuff first. You get some drunk, you can't taste it. Then they serve you the skanky stuff. Man, you save the best for last. It, it was a business miracle. Let me get caught up. Jesus made wine. No, he saved a catering company. 
That'll sink in about lunch. Mark 4, verse 2, farming. Matthew 13, 34, treasure hunting. Matthew 18, 12, ranching. Matthew 20, verse 1, management and labor. Matthew 21, 28, family-owned business. You better read that one. Luke 20, verse 9, hostile takeovers. Matthew 25, 14, return on investments. Luke 12, 35, futures markets. Back Mark 13, 37, crop yield. Luke 12, 35, management criteria. Luke 14, 24, need for observation and research in your business. Luke 15, 11, misuse of money and bankruptcy. Luke 16, 1, the advantage of leverage. Every single parable is a business story. Now, I used to be with the full gospel businessmen. We were incredibly blessed to realize God wanted to bless our business. And we saved our businesses. Our business person, we'd shut down every Christmas, laid people off. You know, when you get laid off, you ought to get laid off at Christmas. That's a double blessing. You know, that's not good. I thought, why? Well, we're not doing something right. So, man, I'm in for seven days. We walked around our plant, big old honking plant in Sykes, Missouri. Walked around it seven days. And on Sunday evening, we walked around it seven times. We greased every door. We called that plant blessed and highly favored. We started sowing seed out of it. We started finding people to bless. We didn't have any more layoffs. We didn't have any more, shutting more doors. Why? Because there's laws of the kingdom that work, but you've got to work them. What do you want? God wants this business to prosper. Well, you know, God's not really into this. He's down at church on Sunday. No, God's in the middle of this business right here. We're going to make a great product. We're going to make a great profit. We're going to bless a lot of people, both with what we make for them and what we make from them. The law of mutual benefit. I'll give you this one story. I'm out of time. Uh, got seven of them. This is Matthew, Matthew 14. Jesus out on the hillside, you know, the Happy Meal story. He's out there, and they've been out there for three days. I don't know what he was preaching, but it must have been something. Nobody wants to go home. So all of a sudden, the disciples came and said, Lord, we got to shut this thing down. We estimate, we know there's 5,000 men, plus their families, their kids, their uncles, their aunts, their grandparents. Most historians estimate there's 30,000 people out there. They've been there for three days. There's no McDonald's, no Arby's, no Hardy's, no drive-thru. There's no meat wagon coming by. After three days, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, we, we got to shut this thing down. We've got to go to town and get something to eat, man. I mean, you've been preaching really good. Everybody's just awed by it. But, whew, man, my stomach's stuck together. i got enough bad breath to peel the bark off a pine tree. We've got to go get something to eat. So you've got to have something. Jesus said, you got to have something. No, we got nothing. We've been eating grass, chewing on sticks. There's nothing. And to mock Jesus, he said, all we've got is this snot-nosed kid came walking through this morning with his loaves and fishes. That's all we've got. There was no miracle. They're trying to mock Jesus. And, well, that's all you need. Bring it over here. What? Here, come here. Kill me. Borrow your lunch a minute. Jesus took it and blessed it and broke it. He said, now sit everybody down in groups of 50. I want to make sure we get everybody fed. So you sit 30,000 people in groups of 50. That took a little while. Oh, y'all count off getting groups of 50. Jesus began to bless the bread and fish. He's beginning to break it. Here, take that. And every time he broke it, it grew back. Right here, here you he go. Take that. Take that. Here, you take that. It must have been hours. Number one, people are up close like, whoa. And they begin to eat. And so I figure right about sundown, Jesus yelled. Everybody had enough to eat? Yeah, Lord, we're full. Belly button sticking out now. We're, we're good. Okay, boys, help this kid grab some baskets and pick up the leftovers and take it home with him. Kid sold to lunch. He's going to reap a crop. So they gather up the 12 baskets. The kid goes home. Now, I've been a kid. I got kids. As long as it's daylight, parents don't care where you are. They don't. I lived out in the country. They don't care if we're in the woods, catch a snake, swim from the tree, swim in the rock Just You better be home at dark. Well, the kid comes around dark. Mom said, you can imagine. Mom said, where have you been? Mama's been a crazy day. Where's your lunch? I gave it away. You gave your lunch? Mom, just calm down a minute. Boys, come in here a minute. Bring that stuff in here. And Twelve grown men come in the back door of the kitchen carrying baskets of food. And Mama, what are you? Mama's been a wild day. Just calm down a minute. I met this crazy carpenter out there on the hillside. He's preaching this wild stuff. I didn't know what he's talking about. And he asked to borrow my lunch, and I gave it to him. He began to break it, and it just broke and broke and broke and broke and broke. And these are the leftovers. We'll be eating off this for a month. And Mom said, 
You're going back tomorrow, you take another lunch. You take another lunch, you go back tomorrow. <laughs> I wanted my kids to know sin will never be a problem because of the blood of Jesus. I don't care what your IQ is. I don't care if you can't diagram a sentence. You're anointed to make money. Every human's anointed to make money. Every human's anointed to make money. Every human's anointed to make money. If you don't get that in you, you're going to be mad. Stinking government, stinking boss, stinking relatives, stinking stinking neighbors, stinking Congress, stinking. And you always want to blame somebody else when you're the one so anointed to make money. I don't care what the economy's doing. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived in a time of drought. Their crops increased a hundredfold. Their sheep increased a hundredfold, not twice, a hundred. Why? I'm blessed of God in a time of drought. You can fill my well up. I'll just dig another one. You can fill that up. I am blessed and highly favored. Until you know who you are, it's always going to be somebody else's fault that you're not doing well. And here's the last one. Here's the, here's the home run. <laughs> this, is the one I, this is the one that drove my kids nuts. I said, okay, you know, sin's never going to be a problem for you. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be good. Not only that, you're in order to make money. And all kids are doing great. Sarah was my smart student. She always made A's. She, could, she couldn't make an F. And so, now, that didn't mean she told the truth. Because she lied every now and then, wouldn't keep her room clean. So it's not a, it's not a grace gift. She just had the ability to make A's. Had to get her born again, spirit filled, and get that taken care of. Jessica, to make that same A, would have to study two and three hours a night. Why? She didn't have Sarah's gift. She had a gift, not Sarah's gift. Her gift was she's great in basketball. Three-point shooting champion, state of Oklahoma, uh, all-state basketball player. They won the state championship her senior year. She got into college on an athletic scholarship. Sarah got in on an academic scholarship. Corey, my third daughter, she wouldn't get it nothing. She, she was a C student at best. Meanest not. Meanest kid I ever had. <laughs> Corey's 30. I've never heard her said one cuss word her whole life. I've never seen her lose her temper, but that is one mean snot kid, man. And she'd tell you, she said, it's not right. It's, what it, it's just not right. I don't get anything new. You never buy me anything new. That's right. We bought good stuff for your sisters. It still fits. Put it on. <laughs> I told her God made you a middle child on purpose. Middle child will go further. And so she's the only one of my six kids that did not go to college on a scholarship. I said, baby, you got a gift. I just don't know what it is yet. You run your mouth all the time. You're really good with your mouth. So maybe journalism or something like that. And so she majored in journalism. Well, she volunteered for the yearbook staff at college. Uh, she got a 25% scholarship for being related to her younger sister who got a full scholarship. And we're, we're sitting, oh, man, I'm a parent. We're sitting in the room. We said, and we're there with her and Tessa enrolling this private university in Tennessee in, in full scholarship. Man, thank you, Jesus. And, and you get 25% scholarship for being related to her. And Corey's just looking at us. How about that? See, it's good to be related to smart people, isn't it? Praise God. I mean, you can't deny what's going on. You got squat, but thank God you're related to her. You know like, and we talk real us, baby, you're gifted. I just don't know what it is. But God, he didn't lie. You're gifted at something. And so she volunteered to take pictures for the yearbook staff, bought her own film, took her own camera, spent her own money for gas, and, you know, photograph the athletic events, social events at college. And a year and a half later, the college president's son was the head of the yearbook staff in the college paper, and he graduated. Well, they came to Corey. He said, Corey, would you like to take this over? I mean, you've been volunteering for a year and a half. You seem to be real good at what you do. He said, if you like this, we'll give this job to you. She said, I'd love to. Well, she got a full scholarship her last two years. And so today, if you look at the back of any of my books out there, it says Stone Bluff Publishing. And because Corey got out of college with a journalism, he said, Dad, it's time to get our own company. We're tired of paying somebody else 80 cents on the dollar. We ought to be making 80 cents on the dollar. I said, I don't have time for this. She said, I do. But I want half your company. <laughs> I thought, well, yeah, that's not going to happen. Then, then my wife got involved, and it did happen. 
so Corey owns half my publishing company and the Stone Blood Publishing. So anyhow, we were eating Thanksgiving dinner later that year, and we're sitting around. We're talking. Corey and I are talking. All the families there, kids and their spouses. We're talking about this new book we're working on. And, and I said, "Was Corey work for you? I said, no, not really. I said, Corey owns half the company. We're eating our turkey, laughing, telling us. And somebody said, what? She owns what? She owns half the company. She owns half of Stone Blood Publishing. And somebody said, does she get paid? Well, they're God, I hope so. <laughs> you know, because she's not getting paid. I'm not getting paid. We don't do this for free. And all of a sudden, it got quiet. And these are my kids. So I love all of them. Now, they've got sibling rivalry. We're normal, but they love each other. Well, how come you didn't hire me? I was older. I said, I'm sorry. What's your major? English. I'm doing okay. I don't need you. <laughs> and Jessica, what's your major? Accounting. I got a good accountant. I don't need you. What's your major? Health science. I got a doctor. I don't need you. What's your major? Interior design. I go to Walmart, buy my own paint. I don't need somebody to tell me what color I need. What's your major? I said, I didn't hire her because she's my daughter. I hired her because she's a journalism major. And that's why I hired her. Because your gift will make room for you. Maybe not today, maybe not when you're 18, but your gift will make room for you, bring you before kings to make you wealthy. So it shut everybody. All the jokes they told about Corey all those years, she never made the A on a roll or the B on a roll or whatever. You know? Now, she was captain of every athletic team she ever played on, basketball, soccer, and softball. Corey got kicked out of more games than all my other kids combined. Because <laughs> she'd trip you. <laughs> what? They fell down. I don't know. Because she's a real short, petite girl, real athletic, but real short. And she got little feet. But boy, she'd trip. People fell down. Soccer matches, people falling down. Free, free throw line, people would fall down. Two people like, what? People keep falling around her all the because she could trip without them catches real quick. Boom. Wow. <laughs> okay, hang on. I got six minutes now. This is the big one. This is the big one. This is the third one. I told my kids, you better get your mouth moving now. Let me read this to you. I had three Catholic kids in my high school. That was all. We didn't have any Catholics in Chattanooga. We did. They were hiding out somewhere. But they all signed the annual the same way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And they'd sign that. That must be a Catholic saying. All the Catholic kids sign your yearbook the same way. And then I went to Bible school and I realized, oh, that's not a Catholic saying. That's in Numbers chapter 6. <laughs> so here's the context of it. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, all blessing comes through your mouth. So you get your mouth going the right direction, hell will camp out on you. Life and death in the power of the tongue. Let your yeas be yeas, your nays be nays, for all that's received an evil one. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich. Call those things to be not as though they are. I went through Canada one time. Are you that name and claim it cult? I'm not a cult, but I do believe in saying it. It's how I got saved. I believe something and I said it and I got saved. Yeah, I believe that. I believe you get what you say. Well, watch this now. This is how you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, he said, now these are the priests. Priests, you say to the, my people every day, you say this to them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now nobody gets to verse 27 of number 6. This is God talking. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. When are you going to bless me, God? When you say it. When are you going to bless my marriage? When you say it. When are you going to bless my children? When you say it. When are you going to bless my health? When you say it, when are you going to bless my business? When you say it, I move through my word coming out of your mouth. If it's not, I got nothing to work with. I'm not the Salvation Army. I'm not moved by pity. I'm moved by faith, and faith speaks. Give me something. Gets quiet every time you say that. Well, let's get on down through this. 
This is the definition of the blessing. It is, this is right out of the Hebrew dictionary. An impartation of the supernatural power of God into a human life by the spoken word by God's delegated authority. What did you say? How do you get God to move? You've got to say it. I don't care if you just cussed a blue streak coming in the church parking lot. Some of you did. Because I know what happened. Hell lands on Sunday morning. Where's hell? Sunday morning. <laughs> we're going to go to church in the morning. Mm, yeah, we're going to church in the morning. You get up and there's no Cheerios. If there are Cheerios, there's no milk. Somebody sucked it down. You can't find your clothes. Where's your clothes at? You, what, do you, what do you got on you? Go clean up. Brush your teeth. My God. You get, who brought the car home empty? There's no gas in the tank. Who did this? I let you use the car. You have a gas in it. This God will go to church. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, buddy, I've been a family. I know it's like, going, where's hell at? Sunday morning. <laughs> Sunday morning, hell's waiting on him. They're awake. <laughs> and so you got to get through hell to get here. The, you're an overcomer. You wouldn't be sitting here this morning. Some went home. My God, I'm not going to church. I'll tell you that right now. Well, you just got whipped. <laughs> okay, I'm down to four minutes. <laughs> just read some. These are tons of scriptures. I'll just give you two or three here. Genesis 1, 23. God made Adam and Eve, and then he blessed them. How did they get blessed? God had to say it. They just didn't stay under it, but God blessed them. Oh, that's good. Genesis 27, verse 30, Isaac blessed Jacob, not Esau. Why? Esau is supposed to get the double blessing as being the oldest son. Thing is, daddy doesn't know he sold his younger brother for a bowl of beans three months earlier. Esau comes back from a hunting trip. He hadn't caught anything. Jacob's eating his beans. Give me something to eat. No. Come on, give me something. No. What do you want for your beans? I want your birthright. What? I want your birthright. Fine, you can have it. I don't want it. I don't want to be responsible. Some snot-nosed orphan, some squabbling widow, or somebody else doesn't have a job. Fine, you can have it. And he sold his birthright legally to his younger brother. Now, dad doesn't know that. Dad's blind as a bat. He's old. He knows he's about to die. Well, what's the ritual? Every time you get ready to die, the oldest son goes get your favorite meal, cooks for you, you come eat your favorite meal, you lay hands on your son, you give him the double blessing. So, you know, he saw Lee to go get the meat. Mama knows what's going on. Grabs his son. Come here, Jack. Get in here. Get in here. So I fix your dad's favorite meal. Here, here. Give me hands. She's killed an old skanky goat. She wraps that little sissy boy with the goat skins because Esau's a hairy big old boy. Jake is a sissy mama's boy. He got no hair. Wraps that skanky hair around his arms and goes in. Dad, I'm back. Man, you sure got back quick. Come over here. He brings that. Man, that smells good. Here you go. Man, you don't sound like Esau. Stick your hand out here. I don't touch it. And he reached out and touched those skanky goat hair. Yeah, that's you, son. Dear God. He ate his meal, laid hands on Jacob, thinking it was Esau, and he gave him the blessing. As soon as Jacob left the tent, Esau walked in. Dad, I'm back. What? I'm back. What do you mean you're back? I just got back. I'm going to cook you a meal. I just ate my meal. You couldn't have. I just got back. I just ate it. I just blessed you. You didn't bless me. And Dad realized, uh-oh, your mother suckered us. And he said, you got to bless me. Now watch this. Please don't miss this. Son, the blessing's not a nice saying. It is a tangible anointing a parent passes down to their children. It is a tangible anointing you pass down to your children. But the devil gets every parent here. My God, you're dumber than dirt. You're not going to mount the hill of beans. Why in God's name we had you? I don't know. I'll be glad when you're out of my house. What's wrong with America? Parents screwed up the last generation with their mouth. But we can repent real quick. I did it with my kids. I messed my first two up. I had to write a letter and do a lot of stuff. I said a lot of mean stuff to you, and I repent. I'm sorry. I sinned. Now, some of the stuff I said about you was true, and not your problem, not mine. <laughs> oh, no, I put that in a letter, and I sent it to him. You ought to deal with that on your own, but I repent of what I did. And, and, and so and my wife will tell you, if you ever talk to my wife, I changed, man. 17 years I'm here, I changed. I'm like Santa Claus stuck upside down in your chimney. I'll still confront you, but 
You're hearing nothing but good stuff come out of my mouth. Somebody's going to start speaking a blessing. Then I'll give you this last night here. Jesus comes out of the grave. He's getting ready to go home. They go, I've been out 40 days. A lot of formerly famous dead people came out of the grave with him. And so all of a sudden he walks outside toward Bethany. Where are you going? We're going home now. And Jesus walks outside of town. A cloud forms on him and lifts him up. And everybody's waving at him. Jesus is going home. And the Bible says the last thing Jesus said before he went into heaven. Now this is the creator of the universe, the creator of the 93 billion known galaxies. He's saying, now what could I say? I have one more last shot at them. What could I say? Let's see. And the Bible says that Jesus blessed them. How are you going to get blessing in your home? You're going to have to start saying it. I don't care how much nasty you've spoke before. You can repent in about five seconds. Father, forgive me for all the negative, nasty, damnable things I've said. My home, my family, and over myself, I repent in Jesus' name. And I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind and conscience, purge from dead works. From now on, I'm going to say what you say. If I have to get Proverbs and just read it out loud, I'm going to say we're blessed and highly favored. With a long life, you're going to satisfy us, show us your salvation. We're surrounded with divine favor. People like us, they don't even know why. Let the redeemed the Lord say so. Let's stand up. Uh, my kids, my kids were giving me a fit. They were just going into ninth grade, and I'm trying to get them to read their Bible, and they won't read their Bible. And I bought one year Bible for all of them every year. Did you read your Bible? Well, Dad, we had a we had a tournament today. Okay, better read your Bible tomorrow. Did you read your Bible? Dad, we had a science fair project. I did. Well, you better read your Bible tomorrow. Did you read your Bible? Dad, we had a lot of homework last night. Well, you better read your Bible because I realize something. You're not going to be nice because I'm nice. If you don't get the word of God in you, hell's going to clean your plow. Hell's not afraid of you. Hell's afraid of Christ in you. So I got mad. I came home Sunday night after church, and I was mad as snot, and I lined them up. I said, get out here, line them up. Got a new command for you. Sarah was the ninth. John, I forgot how old he's real young, like five or six. New command. I command you in Jesus' name that you ever read your Bible again. I'm just going to use reverse psychology. I've told you a whole lot to read it, and you won't do it. So let's try the other side. Don't read it. I said, I will guarantee you this, hell will freeze over. I will never buy you another Bible, ever. If you ever have another Bible, you're buying it yourself because you're not reading the ones I'm buying. But you do need the Word of God. So what I've done here is I've got some three-by-five cards. And I've gone to Walgreens, bought three-by-five cards. I have found 212 scriptures with three things in it, faith, hope, and love, spirit, soul, and body, world, flesh, and the devil. We're going to try to narrow it down because I just want you to read a proverb a day. You choked on that. I tried to get a psalm a day. You choked on that. I tried to get you to read the book of John. That was too hard. I tried to get your revelation. I figured that'll scare you into reading the rest of it. You choked on that. So it's just too much for you to take in. So what I've got, I've got one verse. And I started with the book of Jude. I wish above all things you'd prosper enough to so prosper. I went through all these three things. Jude says this. Got three things for him. So here's what I want you to do. Build up yourself in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Ghost and walk in love. So I had them these three by five cards. And here, there's three things in this one verse. I just want you to do one of them. Do one of the three things. That's all. And just one of them will give you seven days to do it. You're going to get one card a week. So I gave it to him. So let's start with this. Build up yourself most holy faith. Well, draw a line. Take your pencil, draw a line through. So you have no faith. You don't read your Bible. Faith doesn't bear you. So scratch a line through that. You don't have to worry about faith. You'll never have any. Scratch a line through faith. <laughs> Number two, do you pray in the Holy Ghost? John, you pray in tongues? What? You pray in tongues? Yes, let me hear you. In front of everybody? Yeah, we're going to watch and pray. I'm not doing it. You lie. You don't pray in tongues. Tessa, you pray in tongues? Yeah, let me hear you. Now, now you're a liar. You, okay, nobody prays in tongues. Draw a line through that. Well, that just leaves walking in love. That's all we got left. And somebody said, what if you don't love everybody? I didn't say like, I said love. That's, love's what you do for somebody, not what you feel about them. And so I said, sometime this week, help somebody. Your neighbor drops a pencil going down the hallway, pick it up, hand it to them. Eat lunch tomorrow. You see your neighbor didn't have any lunch, they don't have any money. Share yours. You could lose some weight. Share your lunch tomorrow. 
Well, mom got a hold and came back the next Sunday night, and I'm still mad. New three by five card, Micah 6, 8. Three things will matter, God, do I require And so I said, what did you do this week? I read my Bible every day. Ooh, where'd it go? I pray in tongues every day, Dad. Well, Shondai Hickey over a Bible's coming to you. I shared my lunch twice. You look like you lost some weight. Way to go. And I was mad. And so I went for a year and a half with one card a day. And eventually they began to ask, Dad, where'd you get that scripture? I said, Hephaniah chapter 2, verse 3. And they came back the next day. There's no Hephaniah. No, there's not. I'm not ever looking up another scripture for you. I'm never reading your Bible to you ever again. You're going to read your own Bible, and you're going to find out where it is on your own. No more thumb sucking. And so they've been getting the gun. And so it changed their life. Well, we told this story for years, and Corey, who owns my publishing company, said, Dad, people want you to put that in, in, in some cards or things for them. I'm not doing it. They're lazy. Read their own Bible. Get their own cards. That's how you learn. <laughs> well, I've been in Chattanooga, so I come back home, and Corey printed up these cards. They're called, don't buy these. I'm not selling them. They're out on the table sale, but I'm not doing this. Go to Walgreens. Get your own debt for a dollar. Get in to give you a Bible. You got a pencil. You can save $9. Don't get these. Make your own. I'm trying to tell you the truth. Do what you want. <laughs> So I come home, there's stacks of these cards, thousands of dollars in my office. What is this? Oh, Dad, those are those cards everybody asked for. You wouldn't give them. We went ahead and printed them up. You can't do that. Sure, I can't own half your company. <laughs> and so I can't repeat what we said to each other. So, so what we're going to do, we're going to give them away whenever you teach you, give them away. Called telling your child the truth. It's got the cards, talking about how to get saved. And then there's just one scripture. Give them one card. You are the gift, you're a gift from God. You know, you're my reward. Just give one card for a week. Next thing you know this, you're blessed around the divine favor. People like you don't even why. Just give them one card, the instructions on the back. I said, we're going to give them away. Well, we tried. For three weeks, tried to give them away. Nobody took them. So I'm living. I come back home. You, well, you've cost me thousands of dollars. Stupid idea. I'm the one here. God says, well, Dad, it's perceived value. We'll start charging $10 a box. They'll buy them. No, they won't. Yeah, they will, Dad. Perceived value. I took marketing. So the next week, we were in Madison, Wisconsin. I charged $10 a box. We sold out on Saturday night. <laughs> We printed for a year. We sold out in three months. We're in our fifth printing with those cards right now. Like, praise God. <laughs> the, we've got more letters, emails, and testimonies from those cards than anything we've ever done. Why? Because it's the Word of God. Until you start using it, nothing's going to happen. You can't wait till you feel right. Just start saying it. You just got to start saying what God said. Now, we're going to pray. I have a Catholic friend of mine in Baton Rouge. I didn't know any Catholics. He grew up Catholic in a Catholic school. He tells a story all the time. I said, I said, in the fifth grade, parents traveled, did business, and they're in class, and this nun's beating this kid all the time. We had a kid in our class that's mean it's not. Nun's always beating on him. So October, he's finally starting to come around. He's got a whip at least once a week. So he's starting to come around. And so I didn't hear the first of it. I just heard the second part. He said, sister, you're telling me if I'll be good, God will get me a bicycle? Because he's a poor kid. He wanted a bicycle. And said, so the sister said, that's right. If you'll be good for six weeks, you got to get you a bicycle. Now I've looked my Bible over. There's not one verse of Scripture in the Bible that promises that. <laughs> so we go back to the dorm at the end of class. We change clothes to go eat dinner. We're in a dorm, just big old skanky dorm, bunk beds, you know, just home, you know, this Catholic home. And so we go back. This kid never prayed, man. So we're back changing clothes. This kid got down in his bottom bucket. He started to pray, and it scared us because he's beat everybody up. We're terrified of this kid. He's, on, he's, he's looking up top of us and said, God, if I'd be good for six weeks, you get me a bicycle? We froze. We don't want to move. Like, what's he doing? He's, he's praying. And she got quite a message. Okay, forget that. Forget that. Okay, God, if I'll be good for three weeks, you get me a bicycle? Okay, forget that. Forget that. And we didn't know the lady said, I knew I can't be good for six weeks. I can't be good for three. So he goes, okay, God, God, if I'll be good for one week, you get me a bicycle just for being good for one week. God. We're just staring at him. 
And all of a sudden, he's looking, and the, every dorm had a statue of the Virgin Mary on the dresser. And all of a sudden, he looks over, he's just looking at the Virgin Mary. He gets up, he walks over, and he grabs the statue of the Virgin Mary, brings him back to his bed, wraps her in black, and throws her to the bed. He gets back to this. God, if you ever want to see your mother again, you better get me a bicycle. <laughs> Now, you're laughing, but we all play those games with God. Now, if I just don't cuss for a week, if I just go to church three times in a row, if I just read my Bible four days, don't play games with God. God's good all the time. He loves sinners. He'll bless you if you'll ask him, and you'll begin to grow. Amen. Bow your heads. Father, <laughs> we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free, Lord, right now. I pray that everything we've learned this morning, may the Holy Ghost bring to our remembrance and merit, may it bear 100-fold in our lives. We say thank you for letting us be alive in the last days. Put us in the belly button of what you're doing. We call our families blessed, our businesses blessed, and our lives blessed. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Every head bowed just for 60 seconds. Nobody moving for just one short minute. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Two questions. Are you here this morning? He said, Joe, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart, but God's been dealing with me. I'd like to do something about that this morning. If that's you, I would like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. I am not going to embarrass you in any way. I am not going to call you out. I am not going to call you forward. Men don't save men. God saves men. But if that's you, in just a few seconds, I'm simply going to ask you to raise your hand and wave it at me real good and put it right back down. I'm going to see it. God's going to see it. If you're willing to acknowledge you need a Savior, God in heaven will save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. Or perhaps you're here today and say, Joe, I'm saved. I just haven't been living for God lately. But Joe, I've been stirred this morning. And Joe, I'll be honest with you, I'd like to rededicate my life. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. Joe, I let him save me, but I'm not yielded to his lordship. But this morning, Joe, I want to yield myself. I want Jesus Christ to become the Lord of my life, my faith, my family, my finance, my future. Well, if that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer we're going to pray with these other people out of Romans. And God in heaven will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. He will take your sin as far as the east is from the west. He will put it in the depths of the sea. There will be no record of your sin in heaven. And God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from you. So it will never get easy in this. With every head bowed, every eye closed, said, Joe, that's me. I need to get born again this morning. Would you pray that prayer over me? Or, Joe, that's me. I want to rededicate my life. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. If that's you on either count right now, would you simply get your hand up and wave it up and put it right back down? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you there. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anyone? Thank you there. Anyone else? Thank you right there. Anyone else? It'll never get easier than this. Thank you. I see your hand right there. God does the saving. God does the forgiving. He just needs our permission. Anyone else before we pray? Joe, I'm not raising my hand yet. Please include your prayer. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right. Hands down, heads bowed, eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you who raised your hands, we're going to pray with you, and God's going to do the two greatest miracles he can do. He's going to save souls and forgive sins. So people, we're going to help them pray. I want everybody in here, everybody say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me, and you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, save me, forgive me my sin. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. 
Now, Father, for the ten hands I counted going up this morning, either for the first time ever or a simple reaffirmation of their faith in you, according to your holy word and their obedience, as of right now, they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You are their shepherd. They're going to hear your voice, the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Lord, as they lead today, surround them with a shield of divine favor. May people begin to look at them with a new set of eyes. And Father, bring godly friends, not wimpy friends, not weak friends. Bring godly friends into their life that will strike iron with them and cause them to grow and become all you want them to be. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Give the Lord a hand clap, Pastor. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.